If you would, I'm going to have you take your Bibles and turn them to John uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 5, if you would. If you're still getting used to where things are found in your Bible, the Gospel of John is about four-fifths of the way back, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke. You got John before Acts. We're looking at chapter 16, verse 5. And as we say every week, we'd love for you to be a first-hander uh, this Sunday. That's why we provide Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you didn't happen to bring your own, if you don't have your own, we uh, give that to you as our gift this week. Take that uh, with you. But I hope all of you uh, can join me there. As you're turning, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard these words before? It is for your good that I'm doing this. <laughs> Just two weeks ago, I heard a nurse say this to me as she was about to give me a shot. And I seriously questioned her because for the next three days, I couldn't even raise my arm. Parents, this is one of our favorites, right? I remember my parents all the time. It's for your good I'm not letting you go there. Or it's for your good, this was always great, that I'm punishing you this way. I had a hard time believing it was really for my good that they were doing that. Now I can honestly say, I look back and say, well, I can see potentially how that was for my good. I got to say, in a similar way, as we continue our series walking through the Gospel of John, that's what we've been doing most of this year as a church in a series we called Encountering Christ. If you're following on your notes with me this morning, Jesus tells his disciples it is good that he's leaving them. It is good that he's leaving them. Now, in the context of where we are in John's Gospel right now, I'm pretty sure the disciples don't agree with this. If you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we are in a section in John's Gospel known as the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus' life basically just slows down to the very last night on earth before he is crucified. And in these chapters of John, we are given some of the most important and rich material in the entire Bible. These are the things Jesus really wanted his disciples then and us today to understand and to know. And so we are spending some significant time looking into this. And this morning we come to John chapter 16, starting in verse 5, where Jesus is about to explain why it's good for us that he's going away. So look at verse 5, hopefully you're ready. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Now read verse 7 out loud on your notes. It says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the second time now Jesus had mentioned this person, the paraclete. Some of our translations we learned a couple weeks ago, if you were here in part one of the Holy Spirit, some of our translations define that as a helper, an advocate. In the version we just read there, it's the counselor. And who is this person, friends? It is the person of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says it's good he's leaving because he will send the Holy Spirit when he goes. And again, I don't think the disciples agree with Jesus at this point. In fact, I believe that there are still many Christians today who question Jesus' words right there. It's for our good that he left. I was teaching a class on the Old Testament at one point earlier uh, several years ago at our church, and a lady, just in a moment of honesty, said, I think it would have been easier to follow God in the Old Testament. And I understood what she meant. She meant, you know, we're studying like the parting of the Red Sea and these incredible displays of power by God. How hard would it have been to follow God? And I had to remind her, well, sometimes there were like a hundred years in between. 
One of God's powerful displays. And then, well, like, it would have been easier to live in the New Testament at least, right? During the time Jesus walked the earth. Can you imagine that? Jesus by your side, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, how hard would it be fo- to follow God with that? A bad thought enters your mind and Jesus is like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Get rid of that thought. I mean, I'd feel safe. I'd feel secure. So how can it possibly be for our good? that he went away. Let me think about this with you logistically. Let's say Jesus was still here on earth in his body. If you wanted to go spend some time with Jesus, if you had a question for him, you wanted to maybe pray, uh, you uh, needed some counsel, some wisdom, you'd have to hop in a plane, fly somewhere to Israel, I'm guessing, wait in line with millions of other people who wanted to do the same exact thing, And by the time you actually got to Jesus, you'd have something else you want to talk to him about, so you'd get back in line. Instead, Jesus says, I'm going to send another person, we discussed this three weeks ago, just like me, who is going to take residence up in your life, and you will have access to him all the time. All the time. If you're following on your notes, it is good because we'll have him with us all the time. We'll have him with us all the time. God doesn't leave us alone to try to find our way through this world. He gives us the most incredible gift, himself. His very spirit. We saw this in John 14. The very idea that the spirit of God would now indwell within the life of every believer was unthinkable. The disciples' minds must have just been spinning right now. Many people's minds still spin over this reality today. But this is the promise. Christ in me. God's Spirit taking up residence in my life. Do you believe that? Do you believe it is good? In part one of our discussion on the Holy Spirit, I spent most of the time talking about who the Holy Spirit is. If you missed that message and you'd like to learn more, that was just three weeks ago. In this passage, Jesus is going to dive more in depth about the work of the Holy Spirit. And i got to just tell you, most Christians actually agree about who the Holy Spirit is. Most Christians agree about who the Holy Spirit, but you probably know. Probably know by now, if you've ever gone to different churches, when it comes to the actual work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, there is a lot of disagreement. There is a lot of confusion. And I think part of the problem is... Disagree with me, if you will, but I think it's because the Holy Spirit seems so mystical. I mean, you can picture, I can picture, it might not be the right picture, but I can picture God the Father, because we've all seen fathers. I can picture God the Son, because we can read about Him. We learn what He's like, we learn what He would say. But when it comes to picturing God the Holy Spirit, my mind kind of goes blank. I mean, is it like a ghost? Is He floating around somewhere, up and down the aisles of our church here? Uh, Last time we learned, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, who has come alongside of us in order to help us. So the question is, what is he helping us in? What is he helping us in? And as you know, different churches emphasize different works of the Holy Spirit in different ways. In fact, I will tell you, you know this, entire churches have split over how to understand the work of the Holy Spirit And of course, there are extremes on all sides, as there always are. There are some churches that would teach that the day the Bible was canonized, in other words, the day the the early church said, these are the 66 books that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
we no longer had any need for the Holy Spirit. We had everything we needed in God's word in order to follow God and obey him. And then there are other churches that experience people falling on the ground or barking like dogs and say, that's the movement of the Holy Spirit. And then there's everything else in between, right? I mean, everything else in between. So what do we make of all this? Are these questions you've ever asked? Thankfully, I'm going to answer every single question you've ever had about the Holy Spirit (laughs) this morning. No, I'm not going to be able to do that. But what I hope we can do with our remaining time this morning is to look at what the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit and come to at least a better understanding together. We don't have to be afraid or confused. Okay? According to Jesus in this passage, the Holy Spirit works in two primary places. He works in the world and he works in the lives of believers. Before we look at that, I'm just going to ask that we bow our heads once again and pray. Lord, I know it grieves you greatly on how your church has struggled to understand your spirit, how churches have split, how Christians have fought and argued. We want to pray against that here. We want to pray for unity. We want to pray mostly now as we open up Jesus' words that you would give us a clearer understanding. If this has been a mystery to me, to you, to us, give us an understanding to see the gift the Holy Spirit really is. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first work of the Holy Spirit is what he does in the world. Let's read verse 8 out loud together on our notes. It says, When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. If you're following on your notes, the Holy Spirit's primary work in the world is to convict. Is to convict. It's like a bad word in our society today now, is it? Convict, it gets such a bad rap. But in my opinion, I'm just going to tell you, this word convict is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. It's such good news. Literally, convict, if you're on your notes, still means to bring to light, to expose, or to convince. To bring to light, to expose, or to convince. And in this passage, we're told the Holy Spirit convicts the world in three primary topics. Did you see it? The first one is sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Sin is simply Our inability to measure up to God's holy standards. I want you to notice Jesus does not use the word sins. He uses the word sin. And I've talked about this before here. I'll just say it again. Sins are all the bad things we do. Sin is who I am. Sins are a result of who I am. As I stand before God, I cannot meet His holy standard because in my nature I am sin. And part of what the Holy Spirit does is convict me that there is nothing I can do on my own power. There is nothing I can do in my own ability to get rid of my sin. It's just who I am. Now, I'm also going to mention, this is a major, major little detour here, but I want to answer some of these tough questions I get asked all the time. This is what I think Jesus was speaking about in Matthew 12 when he talks about the unforgivable sin. I get asked this all the time. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because people are really worried that I might do that one day or I, you know, I want to make sure I avoid the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
I don't think if you are truly a disciple of Christ, you need to worry about that. And here's why. In my understanding, and I could be wrong, because the work of the Holy Spirit is to what? Convict people of sin. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit would simply mean refusing to receive the truth from the Spirit about who I am. In other words, somebody is confronted by the Spirit that they are a sinner, that's who they are, but they can have forgiveness, but it's an unforgivable sin when they turn their back and say, no, thank you. I don't care about the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that is true about who I am. I'm going to turn my back on that. Hence, we have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. His work is to convict us of sin. Could be wrong, like I said, but I think uh, that is a good understanding, at least for me, of what Jesus meant there. Second area the Holy Spirit convicts the world in is in regard to righteousness. Righteousness is a legal term. It refers to our standing before God, and the Bible tells us, listen, you are either guilty or not guilty. Today, the world views righteousness sort of like a thermometer. There are people really low on the righteousness scale, And then there are people who are really high on the righteousness scale, like a convict. They would be pretty low on the righteousness scale. But Billy Graham, man, he's topping out at 100 Celsius. That's not how it works. And we're told that part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal that whether you are a convict or you are Billy Graham, it doesn't matter how good you are. You all, we all stand before God as guilty. Guilty. That is, unless, unless we trust in Christ's righteousness, here's a big word, we trust in Christ's righteousness to be imputed upon us. Imputed just means accredited to. The moment you receive, you repent of your sin, you say, yes, I am convicted, I see that's who I am. That moment when you trust Christ, you are given his righteousness. His righteousness is accredited to you, and you now stand before God declared as what? Not guilty. Not guilty. Can I put it as simply as I can for you? This leads to so much confusion for people. When God looks at you, when the Father looks at you as a believer, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees the righteousness of his Son, period. There's no thermometer in Christianity. It's what makes it such good news. We are now forever not guilty. Can I get an amen to that? Isn't the convicting work of the Holy Spirit great? The third way the Holy Spirit convicts is in regard to judgment, which it's our destiny. It is our destiny as human beings, although many people want to deny that today. Literally, the word judgment means to be sifted. You ever seen gold? You've got gold, they're sifting for gold. It means to be sifted in order to determine worth. And what Jesus says in this verse is that through his upcoming death and resurrection, Satan has been sifted. And he has been found wanting. He has been defeated. And as a Christian, convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can now have victory. We sang about it. He's overcome. We have victory in Christ unless we let Satan continue to influence us. Friends, I hope you see why conviction is such a wonderful thing. I want you to understand, if you're falling on your notes there, that the purpose, the purpose of conviction isn't to condemn. 
That's what so many people think. Jesus just wants to say all the bad things I am. What's so good about it? No, the purpose of conviction is to free people. It is to free us. It is to free us. It is to free us. It's to free us from our sin. It is to free us from thermometer living. To give us wholeness and completeness. And it's to free us from the judgment, from the power of Satan over our lives, from the power of death. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't be here, at least if you can say, Jesus is Lord, if it weren't for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. None of us would. I get an amen to the work of conviction. It's a good thing. Now, I have to say, before, before I look more at this, I always ask the question, like, how does he actually go about doing this work of conviction? And again, this is confusing, you know? Like, does the Spirit hover over us right now? Is he looking for targets to take down in our midst, going up and down the aisles, floating around? I mean, I've prayed this prayer before. Maybe many of you have as well. Lord, send your Spirit to seek the lost. Now that prayer is sincere and genuine, but I ask the question, is that what's being taught here? Does the Spirit like float somewhere out there doing His thing? And you just got to hope. You just got to hope that one day He'll fall on me. That's sort of what I thought for a while until I started looking at it more in depth. If you have your Bible still there, look one verse back to verse 7. Notice what it says. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. There's a period there. The counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is teaching here is that the work of the Holy Spirit convicting this world, guess what? It's done through us. It's done through the church. The Holy Spirit does not minister in a vacuum. He's not out there somewhere doing whatever it is he does. Just as the Son of God needed a body to do his work here on earth, the Holy Spirit needs a body to do his work here on earth. And that body is the church. It's us. Our bodies, you read the verse, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means he takes up residence in our lives in order to do his work in and through us in this world. If you're following on your notes, it's our job to witness. It's our job to witness. It is the Spirit's job to convict. It is the Spirit's job to convict. Don't get those two things confused. But first, we got to get the first one. It's our job to witness. i got to tell you a great experience about this whole thing. Just this happened to me this last week. I got a phone call from a friend of mine uh, who came to Christ a year ago last week at, at church here when I was preaching. And I, I, I'm going to be quick to say, now you might be thinking, well, that's awesome. You must have been preaching the best sermon ever on the gospel or like sin and forgiveness. And No, listen, I was preaching a message on friendship. And this kid, this college kid, was so convicted, not by me, by the Holy Spirit, that he knew he needed Christ in his life. Now, I had to do my part, but I hope you're learning that I can't do the convicting for somebody. Whether you're a parent and you're trying to do that with your kids, just give it up. You can do your part, you can witness, you can testify, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. In fact, that kind of... Let's me relax a little bit, doesn't it? 
Of course, not everybody reacts to this like that, that friend of mine did. Some people, as we saw last week so powerfully with Pastor Jeff, actually respond to this convicting work with hostility, don't they? I mean, when this world is confronted face-to-face with its sin and unrighteousness and judgment, they don't like that. When they see the opposite things in us, hopefully, sometimes people are offended. We are judgmental. We are intolerant. Now again, I'm not talking, I love how Jeff talked about this, we're not like the moral police of our culture. I'm simply talking about when we live our everyday normal lives, people are going to come into conflict with that and they're not going to like it. What's going on there? It's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Now let me just say something really challenging. If you're not having anybody come up to you, being challenged, being convicted, I want to ask you why? Is it possible that we're not standing out in this world, that we're not allowing the Spirit to be channels of conviction like He's looking for us to be? And that really leads into the second section here, which is, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of us and believers? Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. And read verse 13 out loud with me on your notes. It says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Notice, he is a he, not an it. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. If the Spirit's work in this world is to convict in order to bring people to freedom, If you're falling on your notes, the Spirit's work in us is to guide us in our pursuit of Christ. The Spirit's work in you is to guide you in your pursuit of Christ. Now this, this right here, is where we get to a lot of disagreements within the church. How does he do this? How does he guide me in my pursuit of Christ? And I can't address every single issue here, but what I'm going to do It's not just from this passage, but from other passages in scriptures. Look at five areas that we can know for certain, for certain from scripture, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in, okay? So we're going to talk about five things right now. Number one, we can know for certain from scripture that the Holy Spirit guides us in our transformation process. Big word, transformation process. You might have also heard the word sanctification, Those are just fancy ways of saying the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside of us and help us to become more like Jesus Christ, which should be our goal as his disciples. This is exactly what I was talking about three weeks ago in the first message on the Holy Spirit when I was talking about the difference between walking in the flesh as opposed to walking in the Spirit. Look what Paul writes about this in Galatians 5, 25. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. We just sang something about that, didn't we? Paul compares walking in the Spirit to a journey. You hear this all the time today, right? I'm on a journey. My spiritual life is a journey. That's a biblical phrase. We are. We are all on a journey, and we're learning on this journey how to walk in step with God, the Holy Spirit. And he wants to help us do that. The problem is, as we have all experienced in this room, big problem, right? There's this 
dumb thing called the flesh. And it's making my journey an uphill one every day, every moment. I am in conflict with who who Christ has made me in my flesh. It's the conflict Paul talked about in Romans 7 when he says, I do the things I don't want to do. He talked about it earlier here in Galatians 5. Read these two verses. Look at them. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How many of us experience this every day, right? I got my flesh here, and I know what God wants from me over here, and they're always in conflict, always opposed. Paul goes on in this passage, one of the more famous passages in the New Testament, to talk about, hey, here's some examples of when we're walking in the flesh. Things like sexual immorality, jealousy, hatred, discord. But here's what will happen in our lives as we're being transformed when we're walking in step with the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And I look at those lists and go, see a lot more of myself over there than I do over here. Is God like really disappointed in me? I just got to try harder. And as we talked about, he sent a paraclete, a counselor, a helper, one who wants to come alongside of us to do what? coach us in our journey towards Christ's likeness. All of us are going to fall off the path in our journey. Just get over it. You can't be perfect, but the Holy Spirit is always there to say, get back up, receive the forgiveness you've already been given in Christ, and start walking by my Spirit once again. Every journey will have its ups and downs, friends, but understand, understand that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit in your life is to It's to help you become more like Christ. I want you to hear this twice. Because so many people have such a wrong picture of God. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to succeed. He's not up there in heaven looking down on you every time you fail going. He sent his spirit to live in you. To help you in this transformation process. Are you still struggling in the flesh? Give it up. It's only going to lead you to defeat. Too many Christians are living defeated lives when they don't need to be. We have the Holy Spirit always available to us. The question is, are you giving him access to your life? Are you letting him lead? It's as simple as saying every morning when you wake up, a short prayer, Spirit, guide me today. I want to walk in step with you. The second work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers is something Jeff already mentioned last week. I alluded to it already this morning, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But number two, the Holy Spirit helps us to testify about Christ to others. The Holy Spirit helps us testify about Christ to others. When Jesus talks about the persecutions we should expect as Christians, he says, don't worry, when you're in those moments, you'll have the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what to say. Now, we don't face those kind of crazy persecutions today, but do you believe that the Holy Spirit still guides us to share about Christ with others? I mean, we think this is some gigantic thing, like I was on the plane and I brought the whole plane to Christ. <laughs> what if it's just little daily, daily stuff? I was in Panera last week, and I'm, 
I will be the first to tell you, so often in my life, I live with my blinders on. I'm not, I'm not listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not looking for opportunities to testify. I'm in my own world. But on one of the times I actually was listening, I was watching this employee at Panera. And she was going way above and beyond what you, like a normal employee would be. And I just had this sense that I was supposed to say, you do a great job at your work, thanks. And so I, I, it's not like me at all. So I said it. I went back to my table to study. I was there for an hour. I thought nothing of it. She comes up to me an hour later with tears in her eyes. Says, I cannot tell you how much that meant to me. You do not know the kind of week that I had. Now listen, I didn't then lead her to Christ. Did I fail? I planted a seed. I took the opportunity to testify. And I hope that when I continue to go back there, there might be more opportunities. The question is, am I going to be like this? Or am I going to be open to where he may be leading? So that's number two. Number three, the Holy Spirit, we're told, right here in this passage, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Now, as I already mentioned, some Christians take this to mean that once the Bible, which everyone agrees, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, not everyone, but... Christians believe was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Once that became canonized, the Spirit was no longer needed. His work was done. Now, I'm going to say there is no doubt that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to help us as believers to understand and apply the truth of God's Word. You've all had experiences with that, I hope, right? Maybe even this morning, right now, you're understanding something that you never understood before. That's me being a vessel, but it's Him revealing that to you. Him revealing that to you. Maybe you've been in situations where you're about to go down a path, you don't want to go, and Scripture comes to mind. That's the Spirit guiding us into truth. He is all about the truth. That's why we emphasize the Bible so much here at Cherry Hills. Listen, if we want to declare war on shallow Christianity, we say that so easily. But if we really want to declare it, we've got to know what mature Christianity actually is. And the only place to find that is where? It's in God's Word. So we're going to be all about God's word and asking the Spirit to guide us into truth. Part of understanding the work of the Holy Spirit is understanding he wants you to understand and apply his word. But I'm going to say this carefully. We do not believe here. We do not believe here that once the Bible was canonized that the Spirit stopped working in other ways as well. The Holy Spirit is still guiding believers into truth in other ways. And of course, I'll talk about how this leads to the obvious question, which I get asked probably second, second most asked question other than the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is how do I know if a revelation or a leading is really from God and it's not just my imagination or indigestion or something? How do I know I'm just not making something up? I got to tell you, the first time, the first time, I'm like eight years old, I heard somebody say I was led by the Holy Spirit. I was watching a 2020 show of a murderer saying, I was led by the Spirit to murder these people. Now, I got to tell you, as an eight-year-old, that really confused me. And so I got really weary of any time somebody would say, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, the Holy Spirit led me to do that. I mean, how do we really know? Have you ever asked that question? How do we really know? Friends, we can know. It's actually not as complicated as I think we make it sometimes. This is true all throughout the Bible. If you're falling on your notes, any, quote, revelation from the Holy Spirit, listen, always glorifies Jesus. 
always glorifies Jesus. We saw it two times just in these passages alone. John 15, 26, if you got it open there, what does it say? He will testify about who? Himself? Is the Spirit here to testify about himself? No, he will testify about me. He always points people to Jesus. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus known. He has not come to testify about himself. He has come to testify about Jesus. So what does this mean? It means we should be very cautious when we hear someone say that they've been given a new revelation from the Spirit. Especially if that revelation isn't giving glory to God. Everything the Holy Spirit does points to Jesus. I'm going to say it again. He's all about pointing to Jesus. Therefore, somebody claiming to have a new understanding. Or you hear this sometimes today. There's a new movement of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if it contradicts God's word, and if it does not give glory first and foremost to Jesus Christ, it's probably not of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'd say that the truest mark of a spirit-filled person is not signs and wonders. It's not even speaking in tongues as some teach, though I'll just be quick to say, I think those things can certainly be used to point people to Jesus' glory. They certainly can. Now, the truest mark of a spirit-filled person is that Jesus is being glorified. That people are looking at them and saying, wow, Jesus is awesome. So in that extreme example I gave you, you notice I'm keeping it extreme. Was that murderer led by the Holy Spirit? Of course not. Number one, it goes completely against Scripture. And number two, Jesus was not glorified in that at all. So I'm glad I have solved that for all of you this morning. (laughs) The fourth work of the Holy Spirit, just remember though, litmus test. Litmus test. Any new thing you hear. Is this really giving glory to Jesus? Fourth thing. The fourth work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is that the Holy Spirit seals our lives securely in Christ. Seals our lives securely in Christ. This is my favorite. This is my favorite one. Because I struggled with this for so long in my life, right? But listen, the moment, the moment you trusted Christ, God has marked you with a seal. He declares once and for all, you now don't belong to yourself. You belong to me. You belong to me. Paul wrote these incredible words in Ephesians 1. Let's read these out loud together from the screen, would you? And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. In ancient times, people used to make a seal to secure things. We don't do that as much anymore. In fact, a New Testament scholar wrote, a seal denoted ownership and authenticity. This, by their, this thereby guaranteed the protection from the owner. Uh, it's kind of like the diploma if you graduated from high school or uh, college. You know, it has a seal on it. What does that seal mean? It authenticates your diploma as real. This is yours. You did this. It's who you are. You graduated. So what does this mean for us? It means that you can have security in your relationship with God, period. Too many Christians in our church, I know, think of the Father up in heaven on his throne, holding our lives in his hand like a flower going, he loves me. 
He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not, and we really hope when we die, at that moment he takes me. I'm on the good side, because otherwise I'm in trouble. Let's just dispel that. That is not how God sees you at all. He has sealed you as his child once and for all, forever. You are authenticated. And nothing can take that away from you. No matter what happens, no matter how bad you fail, no matter how far we fall astray, he will complete what he started in your life. Do you have that security? The fifth work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to use for the body of Christ. Gives us gifts to use for the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, we learn that the Spirit has empowered every believer of Christ with at least one spiritual gift. Let me give you a definition of spiritual gifts. They are simply divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer, this is important, for the common good of the body of Christ. To give some practical examples, Peter and Paul list several different kinds of gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, teaching, prophecy, tongues, discernment, encouragement, and many others. Some people teach today that those gifts are no longer active in the church. They, they were for the apostles. We don't believe that here. In fact, we actually teach a class. Jeff and I teach a class called Network where we, the pastors of this church, because Paul commanded us to do so in Ephesians 4, help the people of this church discover the unique gifts God has given you, gifts usually plural, and how to use them for their purpose, which is always to glorify God and edify others. It's always to glorify God and edify others. Paul uses the image of what? A body. A body doesn't work so well if only the work's working. You need all parts of the body in order to function well. And what that means is every member of this local body, this church, needs to be discovering and using their spiritual gifts if we're going to reach the potential God has for us. Period. We really believe that. We can have the greatest worship services ever, greatest sermons ever, greatest building ever, and unless... Each individual member is taking serious their responsibility that God has given you a gift and he wants you to use it for his glory. We will never become who he intended us to become. Are you? If you're not, that's okay. But not okay for long. I'm going to actually invite you to come and take that class, Network. Jeff and I are going to teach it again in January or February. And uh, we want to invite anybody in this church who'd be interested in learning more about that to take that class. Well, as we close, I think this passage forces us to ask two questions. First, am I being a channel the Holy Spirit can use to convict others? Am I being a channel, a vessel, whatever word you want to use, the Holy Spirit can use to convict others? Look it. We just learned. The Holy Spirit doesn't use buildings, pulpits, Holy Spirit doesn't use nature, doesn't use philosophy or even theology. Scripture indicates he may not even convict sinners directly. According to Jesus, we convict the world by the way that we live our lives, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. Wow. Now again, this doesn't mean we've got our notebooks out and we're taking notes for God and saying, this person's bad, here's where. 
It means we just live our lives pursuing Christ and people will see and say, that's different. And they are convicted and they can respond however they respond. That's not our problem. Our problem is simply to witness and to testify. I hope you hear this morning more than anything else that testifying about Christ is a great privilege, but it's a responsibility we all carry. It's not just for pastors. This is a matter of life and death for the people of this world. Are you being a channel for God to work through his convicting power? The second question I ask after this is, am I actually being guided? Am I being guided by the Spirit in my pursuit of Christ? He wants to help you. That's why he came. He didn't leave you on your own. He gave you his Spirit, a helper, an advocate, a coach to come alongside of you. Are you letting him? Are you letting him have access to your life? He wants to transform you and help you with that in your journey. He wants to help you testify boldly to others about Jesus. He wants to guide you and lead you into truth. He wants to give you assurance of your salvation and your standing. And he wants you to discover your gifts and use them for his glory and for us. Friends, I can't fathom life without the Holy Spirit, can you? Today, I can honestly say, as I'm sure the disciples could eventually say, it is good, it is for our good, that Jesus went away because he left his Spirit for us. Let's pray. Lord, it is good. And we acknowledge that today. And though we probably will never fully understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I would ask that you would help us to understand a little bit more today. Help us to understand how great a privilege it is and a responsibility it is to be your channels. You want to convict the world. You want to free the world from the bondages they find themselves in, the bondage of sin and unrighteousness and judgment. He freed us, many of us. How much more do we want you to do that for others? So help us to be a channel for that by the way we live. And Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who might be confused about what it means to actually be led by you, to be guided by you into these five areas. I pray that today they might simply just open themselves up to you and ask you to show you what it means. We thank you for the gift gift of your spirit. You are with us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.